The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us today is Ryan Riley. He's an NBC News justice reporter, and he is covering everything Jan 6. He's also the author of the upcoming book, Sedition Hunters, which I am very excited uh, to read because he's been tracking all of the people who are internet sleuthing to find out who participated in the introduction on January 6th. I'm excited to talk to you because we're, we have hearings coming up. Like this is, this is really happening. Um, and it feels like, I mean, I was talking sort of the parallel, I guess, track would be like the Mueller probe where like sort of this big buildup and then kind of fizzled. So I was trying to set myself, my kind of set my expectations <laughs> for what, um, and, and sort of moderate them a little bit, given the fact that um, we sort of lived through um, a dud. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're not sure what to expect, but you're, you're really somebody who is not just paying attention to what's happening on Capitol Hill, but also paying attention to what's happening in court every day. And one of the things I find so fascinating about your timeline and your feed is um, the amount of these Jan 6 defendants that we've all seen in the surveillance videos um, who are asking for, you know, vacation exemptions and for, for different things from the court um, and, and the excuses that they give as to why um, or, or even their excuses for, like, having been at the insurrection itself. I mean, do you ever find covering that, like, it's a little bit dark comedy? Oh, yeah, it's a very heavy mix of like of of tragedy and comedy for sure, because a lot of I mean, the excuses that they come up with and reasons they give and and just, you know, general I mean, you know, you don't have so many you don't have there's nothing like this where you have all of these criminal cases where the people are just like admitting to the entire crime like on videotape, right, which is just like kind <laughs> of like a very funny thing about it like it's inherently funny that like oh you're like okay are you sure it's not them and there they are like you know saying their name and like you're like, holding up a newspaper here here i am I think on the ground illegally on the ground of the capital um so it is very it is very strange in, in terms of all like all the evidence they've produced against themselves um but you know i think with the hearings what's kind of like a little bit depressing about it is you there's all this talk about how they make sure that this really hits home. Like it seems like so much of the discussion around this is around the media strategy to make sure mm -hmm. that it it breaks through the noise and gets home to people. Like that's what they're really putting all of this this focus on. And you just like, you know, you think back to, you know, it's not like the Watergate hearing folks had to like <laughs> had to think about the media, the media like strategy. dynamics of this. Right. Much. Right. Like it's just like baked into their entire premise and it's like oh like it's it's not as though it just must be depressing if you like find you know this 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 piece of evidence that you think is really going to break this through and then like ah well it didn't track with the right demographics and suddenly <laughs> it's like not gonna you know break through as much well i think it's a, it's a really interesting point because i think 
when you think about what we've been waiting for, like, I, I, I find the sort of like, we're waiting for that big piece of evidence. We're still waiting for it. We haven't seen it. I'm like, what do you need? <laughs> what else <laughs> where, where are you waiting for? I don't, I mean, you're not going to get Donald Trump on tape. Well, you are going to get Donald Trump on tape telling, you know, Brad Raffensperger to look for the exact amount of votes that are missing, right? You are going to find that, which is being investigated by a grand jury <laughs> in Georgia. Yeah. But in terms of like the insurrection, you know, especially because of the reporting around even what he was doing that day, it's not like he's the one texting these messages to people. And so you're not going to find him being like, hey, tell the rioters to go storm the building now um, from Donald Trump. But but basically you you have that in other forms, given the context of all the other messages from other people um, and to the people closest to him. I mean, as you think about the story that the Jan 6 committee can tell what are some of the most important pieces um, that that you sort of keep top of mind because you're you're more connected to like what sort of the bigger piece the bigger story is anyway so what are some of the big pieces that like you want to make sure um, and that you think are are really really critical to keep in mind as we sort of wait for these hearings to start at the beginning of the month next month. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of these defendants uh, during the course of their sentencing have revealed they've spoken to the January 6th committee. And I think that's going to be pretty essential because you're going to mm -hmm. have it sort of out of the horse's mouth. You're going to have all of these people who either stormed the Capitol or committed violent acts at the Capitol talking about exactly why they did it. You know, one of the most compelling things uh, to me in a case I sort of helped bring about um, was uh, the testimony of this man named DJ Rodriguez. He's this uh, Trump supporter from California who uh, drove a, a stun gun into the neck of uh, Officer Mike Finone on January 6th as he was dragged down those stairs. Um, uh, I'd report, we had reported on his identity and then he, he was subsequently arrested and uh, the FBI interviewed him and basically be, over the course of this, uh, over the course of this case, his, his lawyers tried to get his confession suppressed. Um, and so what ended up happening is his entire confession was released. And it's this really amazing bit of tape and like this video because he just goes through the entire thing. Like, you know, and it just, the, the logic to him just sort of follows that if he thought the election was stolen, this is what you're supposed to do, right? And I think that that's what a lot of people are sort of in that boat. Like it was an inevitable mm. consequence of this idea of the election stolen and like, yeah, so this is what we do. It's 1776. And he's, it's almost like he's trying to explain it to the, the FBI agents who are interviewing him. It just seems like it's like, yeah, it's sort of obvious to him. Like, right. Like, Oh, of course you attack the Capitol. Cause I thought the, the election was stolen. And then, you know, he breaks down in tears about how he's, you know, he, he ruined his life, but you know, he's just following what, what he the path that he thought that Trump set him on and it's amazing to hear him sort of say that in his own words and this is exactly how how this all came about I'm glad I asked that question because that was not that it didn't occur to me that they could also use testimony and as you said um this confession uh by other defendants so okay so going into these hearings I think what everybody's assuming or at least I know up until this very second, I was probably assuming <laughs> we'd, we'd sort of like focus on the members of Congress and what they were doing and um, Trump's staff and, and the people in Trump's orbit and what they were doing. But also you, you make a really, really important point 
um, about the fact that they could color some of this in with some of the people who participated in breaking the windows and storming the building and have, you know, quote them as saying and them on video saying Donald Trump sent me here because it's 1776. I mean, that that feels like a completely different story, even um, then, you know, talking about Congress people potentially being involved, because I think that actually could sort of just even polarize people more and put them in their camps than if you're just using these ordinary defendants who, who actually broke things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like there's no doubt that like they can just say exactly this is why I did this. And, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't people who were necessarily in touch with the White House or had right. any really high level connections. It's just sort of the the it just sort of they're just following the logic they were told you know the protests are going to be wild and like that's come up in a lot of a lot of these cases where you see them put you know i I end up going through the social media of a lot of these folks after Mm -hmm. they uh get arrested and sometimes it's you know directly cited in uh these fbi affidavits where they just have like you know a screenshot of like you know a twitter uh a tweet from uh the former president and there's just all these lines of like direct connection of like here's what we were told and here's what we did. And I think that telling that story is going to be in some ways compelling, but they also do have those high level um, connections in terms of the broader conspiracies involving mm-hmm. the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. You know, the the uh, head of the Oath Keepers spent like six hours on Zoom with the January 6th committee um, when he was in federal custody because he thought it was going to sort of help with his case. So he he's talked to them. Um, they've talked with, a, you know, a number of high level people within the Oath Keepers. They're the lawyer has been cooperating uh, with uh, their investigation. So there's a lot of information about, and I think that that's like the Oath Keepers are going to be a key component of this because they sort of were that go-between between, between <laughs> I mean, first of all, because A, the Oath Keepers are, have, a number of them have uh, pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy. Even more of them have been charged. Um, but there's sort of that overlap between this 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 effort to storm the Capitol, take over the government, um, and these direct connections to the White House mm-hmm. or people in Trump's orbit, and I think that's where you see that mo- the most overlap between people who are like are directly charged with seditious conspiracy and people who are like directly in um, communication with uh, with the White House and uh, the Trump folks. So I think that that's like one of the things that is really going to be interesting to see what the January sixth committee uh, turned up there. That is going to be interesting. I mean, I I think that, you know, because we don't know much about that. I mean, I think the people that we that pled guilty, as you said, we know a little bit about what they're what they're pleading to and the charges. But I think there's so much more that we need to learn. So that's I I feel like six hearings may not be enough (laughs) um, for 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 us to get all of the information that we need. I mean, when you're thinking through. um what the story is. I mean, based on what you just explained in terms of even how the people who stormed the Capitol think of what they did, um, Donald Trump told them that the election was stolen. And so they needed to run into the building to stop the steal. I mean, is that, that's basically the story. Yes. Right. And I mean, like that, they were told this was the crime of the century. So it almost is if you, if you put yourself in their shoes for a moment, and you actually believe that the election was stolen, this was the crime of the century. 
And then you're imagining like, oh, I'm getting popped for like walking in a government building. It's almost like why, you know, it's sort of interesting when some of these folks who have now sort of had this, I guess, come to Jesus moment where they realized <laughs> they were fooled um, and believed all of these lies. That's like a, that's a subset section of uh, the January 6th defendants. But a lot of these people are just like, you know, still believe the election was stolen. And it's, if you, if you still believe that it, it is kind of, you, if you put yourself in that mindset, it's like, gosh, I'm getting, you know, my <laughs> life torn apart, like for walking into a building and like, this is the crime of the century that happened. And like, yes, I was just to walk in there. Like I should have done more is almost how that line of thinking um, would go. Because if that, that's like a natural response to what you were being, you're being told. If the election was actually stolen, if there was this you know, this this idea of stealing democracy and this grand criminal conspiracy involving countless officials in both parties across several states. I mean, gosh, somebody should do something about that, right? Like that's right. how that thinking sort of sort of goes. So that's sort of why the lies, the big lie is sort of inherently dangerous because yeah. of what was the what was the response to that? Like the natural response to that sort of was what happened on January 6th if people actually believed those lies. I mean, it's a really, really important point. I mean, I think that's why even today, as I think about the primary elections and as they're unfolding, um, we're talking about Georgia, of course, and the fact that, you know, Brian Kemp is enemy number one um, because he certified the election in Georgia and Donald Trump's obsessed. Um, When you when you think about um, sort of the the visual uh, exhibits that could could be mm-hmm. used. I mean, you have a a much better sense than I do, uh, or most people really, um, about the visually um, what kind of evidence there is out there um, that could be utilized by the Gen Six Committee in the hearings. I mean, one of the things that we saw at the second impeachment, not to be confused with the first impeachment, um, the second impeachment about the insurrection. Um, was the util- they utilized a lot of video and surveillance video from inside of the building. Obviously, there's so much more video and images now because of all of these court cases and al- also the internet sleuths that you are writing a book about. <laughs> um, so can you talk about some of the, maybe the exib- potential exhibits and, and the images that you think really tell the story that we may not even kind of be familiar with? Because I think... Maybe we we they played a lot, obviously, for the first few months after the insurrection. But even still, we don't we don't play as much insurrection footage as we probably should because uh, we can't we shouldn't forget it. But talk about the importance of the exhibits and the visual evidence and then speak to some of the evidence that stood out because you you're the one that like catalogs all of the photographs (laughs) of the people like (laughs) posing in front of the. In, in front of the insurrection, in front of the building, during the insurrection. <laughs> yeah. I, so during the second impeachment, um, I, the one thing I remember about that was a lot of uh, a lot of footage that didn't have any audio. And yep. audio is really one of the most disturbing things about watching a lot of this footage. In fact, some of the sleuths typically turn off the audio mm. when they're just sort of analyzing this and like listen to you know classical music or something because that's really what I think has this mo- this real emotional impact um, in addition to the footage is just you know when you see this body-worn camera footage from police officers that has sort of trickled out over uh, the months that this investigation mm. has has gone on it's just this I mean it's this first person perspective you're like right in it you almost feel like you're in you know in inside the head of the officer at that point and then you sort of and then you you have this audio and these horrible things that are being 
you know, yelled at, at officers and calling them, you know, traitors and uh, accusing them of, of breaking their oath because they're, you know, doing their jobs. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that has been just, just really compelling is, you know, hearing the audio and, you know, heave ho is one thing that like the tunnel footage, there's this, you know, the tunnel where one judge referred to the tunnel as quote, the Lady Gaga tunnel. Um, it's the inauguration platform. It's where oh. everybody <laughs> right. enters. <laughs> right. right. And like, that's like, that's like the center of the, um, of a lot, like a lot of the violence on January 6th. And that's where a lot of, the most devastating moments take place. And just watching and hearing the footage uh, from inside that tunnel, I think is, is going to be something that's going to be really uh, compelling uh, to folks. I mean, you know, we've seen some of Mike Fanone's uh, mm -hmm. body cam footage where people are basically, you know, trying to rip him apart and ripping things off of his body. Um, we've seen, you know, just these, these brutal videos where you're just looking out at this enormous mob and people swinging, you know, people in the front lines just going crazy and swinging things at, at like swinging objects at cops and, you know, spraying um, a can of a fire extinguisher at them to just blind them. And, you know, they're in this trapped environment. And I think that that footage is just, is I think maybe something that's gonna be really compelling for uh, a lot of Americans just to see that sort of situation where they really were up against this just enormous mob and there was very little that they could do. They basically just had to put their bodies in front of them to try to block people from, from getting through, but they were just completely, completely outnumbered there. And it's really like a vulnerable position yeah. that they're in, in that tunnel. Um, it's, I mean, that's one of the things that always just, just stick out, sticks out to me is that the really the moments in that tunnel where, you know, some officers have referred to it as the tunnel of death. It's just like this brutal sea of, of bodies and humanity that is just like, it's, it's just really, really compelling and really pretty brutal. I mean, I, I feel like I've seen videos um, where, you know, from inside and outside of the tunnel, but even as you just describe it, that feels like it's going to be something that, that could break through um, particularly body camera footage. I mean, I think, um, they, they'll probably want to be intentional about what's used just so it's not, you know, gratuitous, um, especially in the primetime hearings. But I think that, mm -hmm. um, but I think that some of that, especially with, with the sound, I mean, I, I just find that like, at some point, at some point, the fever has to break. I mean, if you're going to see a cop's body, body camera footage of him being like beat up, I don't know then how you... Um, go out and say this, this was a legitimate political debate this was a you know tourist visit or whatever um, explanations folks have partisans have come up with um, to sort of explain away what happened here because I think objectively what happened here was horrible it was an attack on our on our country but it was from within the country from from elements within the country who to your point believed a lie and I think the sort of larger question we're sort of asking at these hearings is are we going to hold accountable the people who were in power that told them that lie <laughs> um uh and 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 i think that's that's going to be the big question um in terms of the members of congress i mean we just had the news uh, a couple days ago rudy giuliani finally spoke with the committee which i don't i mean i assume 
for seven hours, you know, he had, he was saying something in there. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that they have a lot of his communications, which are going to become, I'm sure, really important because he was kept calling the wrong senators. Um, so we already have some of that information. Um, but in terms of some of the witness testimony that is of high, higher profile folks, I mean, are, is there anybody that like we sort of lost the thread, but like you think is really important? Um, when, when we're telling this larger story, because we like John Eastman was a name that like a month ago was top of my mind. And then the other day I was like, wait, wasn't there that lawyer, that new Ted Cruz, like, you know, and, and <laughs> I, I, so, so there, cause there's so many characters in, in this tale, um, that are connected to in this web of, of sort of Trump world. Um, are, are, are some of these higher profile stories sort of top of mind for you? Um, it's similarly to, um, as you just laid out some of these images that, I mean, I don't even think that I really had an understanding of the tunnel of death, as you said, um, these folks have called it in the same way. So in terms of the witnesses, what's top of mind? Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm really curious about Jeffrey Clark and the role that he played, Mm. um, in, uh, inside DOJ and sort of being the inside man for, for Trump and basically, you know, trying to overturn, the election. I think that like that's something that will be really interesting to explore. And you know, big picture wise, I think that what's important about the January 6th committee is that they can explore, they have kind of more free reign to explore a lot of areas that are more difficult for a federal grand jury and federal prosecutors to just sort of, you know, pop open, right? Like the, if federal investigators are going after something, they have to find like a direct criminal nexus. They have to mm-hmm. find that direct where, you know, basically say there's a potential uh, of criminality here. And I think that's difficult and gets into some terri- like dicey territory in terms of, you know, First Amendment concerns mm-hmm. um, and, and a lot of these areas, especially when you're talking about legal challenges uh, that were brought forward by uh, the Trump uh, campaign. They have to really tiptoe around a lot of that. That's not to say they aren't actually going down you know, some, uh, some areas here, you know, now where that were this far into the investigation in terms of the, in, uh, the organizers of the actual events on January 6th, they've done, we've seen reports about them doing a lot of interesting things in that, in that realm, but there is a little bit more difficulty than, they have a lot more difficulty sort of just exploring that than the January 6th committee does because they can just, the January 6th committee can basically sort of explore what they, what they want if there's a legislative purpose to it. Um, so I think that that is where we could see a lot of interesting things pop out uh, in this investigation into the sort of more of the lead up um, to January 6th and sort of how those worlds interlapped between the uh, people who actually stormed the Capitol and the legal challenges and how those nexuses sort of come into contact and where there's overlap there. And I think there'll be a few figures that, you know, there could be figures here that are going to become important names over the course of this investigation who weren't really on anyone's radar necessarily. Because That's they what might keeps happening though. Or like, the behind the scenes like, role it does. Yeah. Who, I'm like, I was like, last week I was like, who is Scott Perry? You know what I mean? Like, I, cause I, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't have, I, I've heard of Scott Perry, but you know what I'm saying? Like it, all 535 members of Congress, not like we all have them, t- you know, we have the, f- unless I'm looking at their faces and the name, I can't, right. you know, if I saw them walking down, down the street, I, I might not recognize all the members of Congress. Let's just be honest. And so yeah. when, when you see some of these names coming up, some of these like backbench or house members um, right. that, that don't come up in the, in the media often, 
but yet they're like on text with Mark Meadows. To your point, I yeah. think there's going to be names we didn't we didn't even think. I mean, who knew Jenny Thomas was up in emails and text messages trying to overturn the election or at least perpetuate allegedly it's conspiracy theories um, that ally with the people who are trying to overturn the election. That that was still that's still like blockbuster news, but it was just like right. Friday. Right. Or Doug Mastriano, right? Like he was oh, like yeah. someone who is now a national name, but like the only way you really knew him is if you were in Pennsylvania or like were really paying attention to right. the January 6th stuff in depth. And now he's like this national figure. And like, you know, he, like he was, he's got like six photos with a guy who, who, <laughs> who sprayed cops with pepper spray on January 6th while dressed up in military gear. And like six people in his, in who have, you know, were supporters of his and were marching along with him at previous sort of stop the stealish type events uh, have been charged in connection with a capital attack, including someone who encouraged, uh, you know, the so another rioter to mace a New York Times photographer. So, I mean, there are these names that are going to bubble up and it is just, it is incredible to see, you know, in that, in that case specifically, you know, Doug Mastriano is someone whose Facebook page I would constantly come into contact with when I was investigating some of these <laughs> January 6th defendants. And it was like, this was a common linkage. It's like, oh, they're just like really huge Mastriano groupies. And now it's like, oh, like now because, and it was really because of the lies that he became this major figure. Mm -hmm. If you just look at the Facebook page, you know, page uh, likes for him versus his, his opponents. It's like, he, it was astronomical. Like he, he just really took off after he sort of spread these lies about um, the stolen election. So that's like why he was such a popular figure. And it just sort of showed you like the power of Facebook in some of these, in some of these Republican primaries, how he just like, you know, cleared the field essentially. And, you know, now it's a situation where the Republican party has to figure out what they're going to do. Um, and if mm -hmm. they're going to go along with, with this, which if, if, if history is any guide, they will uh, yeah. go along with it and, uh, no, it, and sort of support him in it, any effort I mean, that he uh, takes. It, it's such a wild ride that we're on <laughs> right now, but I am grateful to reporters like you, um, NBC news justice reporter, um, covering the Department of Justice, writing a book on FBI's uh, Jan 6 manhunt. But Sedition Hunters is the book that is um, being written about all of this. We're going to pay attention to these hearings and we're hopefully have Ryan back um, while they're going on for some real-time analysis, um, if you're up for it. Uh, we we are we're grateful for, for your analysis today because... I, I, I learned things <laughs> that I didn't know before and, the, and there, are, there are pieces of the story that I hadn't even put in the context as, as uh, well as you just did so thank you Ryan Riley for joining us this morning um, everyone follow all of his work um, at Ryan J. Riley on Twitter um, follow it all of, all of the reporting on Jan 6 is there for you Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.